Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. There's a lot to unpack this week in the world of golf, but before we get to that, I want to welcome in my wife, Jan. We have been traveling the PGA Tour now for 43 years. Uh, Before we had kids, when we we first got married, honey, we... We honeymooned at a PGA Tour event. We got married in December of 1976, about a week after I got my PGA Tour card. And I'd like you to tell our listeners about our honeymoon, which uh, basically revolved around golf. It did. It did. We started in San Francisco, though, which was a lot of fun. We had New Year's in San Francisco, although you had the flu. So he stayed in bed all day. And then we got to Phoenix. I think the Phoenix Open was your first qualifying uh, Monday qualifier, and I got the flu, uh, stomach flu, that is. So it was it was kind of a crazy time. He did not qualify for that first tournament, and we had a lot of fun. It's our honeymoon. We spent time in Phoenix just tooling around, looking at everything, and we'd never, I'd never been there before. He had been down there playing some mini tours, but then we traveled up to Tucson and did not qualify that Monday <laughs> qualifying becoming a so, pattern here. Yeah. So then I have to get on an airplane and go back and finish college and graduate. So that was a really tough thing. You're married. It, it was very, very strange. But then you went to Pebble Beach where you did qualify. And my father graciously bought me a plane ticket and I came down and we found a room. We could sleep on the sofa bed at Bob and Cindy Zoller's house and the rest is history. Yeah, at least you graduated because we needed to have somebody with brains in the family, which uh, which you have. Uh, but then move forward to 1980 when we had our first child, Amy. 1980 in July, this month. And you wanted to bring her out after four weeks. I did. I, You know, you were home for two weeks. And then I had two weeks alone. My mom was coming to help at times, but... That's really hard to have a brand new baby and just be all by yourself. So the doctor said, no problem. Take her out there. So I called you and said, okay, I'm coming out. Don't worry. She goes to sleep at about 11 o'clock, maybe midnight at the latest. And she was sleeping five hours, but I forgot about time change. So at 2 or 3 a.m., we're still trying to get this baby to sleep. And it was really, it, it was a little bit like, oh my gosh, what have we done? The change is coming in our life. And I think we drove around, didn't we, one night to get her to sleep? And then the next night, our our neighbors, Philip and Kitty Hancock, that had a one-year-old daughter, had her own room. They said, Peter, why don't you come sleep in the room with our baby and get some sleep tonight? Instead because, of this newborn. Instead of the newborn, because you were just a couple, one back of the lead or something at that point, I think. And you Ended up winning the tournament. And I've never been so thankful in my life that you won that tournament. Because you had been saying, oh my gosh, you can't come out and travel. You have to go home. You're going to have to stay home with the baby. What are we thinking? What are we doing? And you won. And and that's one of the aspects. I don't think people, the, the fans at home watching on TV when a player gets married and has children. And all of a sudden, something might happen in their career to where they stop winning. Well, there is an adjustment. There's an adjustment with kids at home. But then there's a, an adjustment with kids on the road as well. And I was panicked. That was the uh, that was the Buick Open, 1980, Warwick Hills in Grand Blanc, Michigan. I didn't know if I was going to be able to continue to play on tour because if we've got 
these kids up all night screaming, how am I going to get some sleep? Well, I went on to win. In fact, it all continued the next week. We went to Endicott, New York, the old BC Open, which is now the Dick Sporting Goods Open, which I'll be playing on later, playing in later this fall. And I finished second there. So <laughs> I remember you said to me, no more complaining about these kids. You obviously play well. And I think at that time, I really did feel comfortable because I felt I liked I was home. As long as I had my family with me, I felt like I was at home. We could have been in a Best Western, a Marriott, or staying with friends, but I felt like I had everybody together. Now, let's jump forward a few years, about to oh, probably 15 years, to 1994. And you and I went over to the Scottish Open with my caddy at the time, Mike Cowan Fluff. And we took our 10-year-old son, Mick. And what we wanted to do, I wasn't in the Open Championship, which was at Turnberry. So what I wanted to do was to go to the Scottish Open, which was at Glen Eagles, which is a fabulous place. They had the Ryder Cup there a few years ago. We went over, and I didn't finish in the top 10. You needed to finish top 10 to get a spot in the Open, and I finished one shot out of the top 10. So you and I and Mick and Fluff... We rented a car because now I had to go qualify, Monday qualify, to get into the Open Championship. I was so confident that I was going to finish in the top 10 at the Scottish Open that I hadn't scouted out the qualifying golf course. So we rented a car, we jumped in the car, and we were jam-packed. We were like packed in a tuna can. We had no room whatsoever. Mike, Fluff, Mick, you and I in this car. We had to drive from Glen Eagles all the way down to, to Glasgow, Scotland, and we had to tee it up the next day in a Monday qualifier, and I hadn't seen the golf course. So do you remember what we did on a cold and rainy and wet night after the final round of the Scottish Open? Yes, I do. I know what I did. I stayed in the car where it's nice and dry and warm. But you and Mike and Mick all went out to check out the course, get some yardage, and... I don't know, maybe an hour later or something, I hear this tap on the window and it's, it's Mickey. He's back. He wants, he's like, it's freezing out here. I'm getting in the car. So I don't think anything of it. And maybe about an hour later or so, you come up to the car absolutely panicked and you see Mickey in the car. You go, oh my gosh, thank goodness you're here. And I didn't know what was going on. You can tell the rest of that. When Mike and I arrived at our qualifying course, and I cannot remember the name of the golf course, it was about nine o'clock at night. And I said to Mike, we're going to go walk some yardage. And he said, are you out of your mind? I said, no, no, no. I can't tee it up with this golf course completely blind because it's Lynx golf. And, and you know how unpredictable Lynx golf is. So Mike and I jumped out. And again, the wind's blowing probably 20 miles an hour. Rain is coming sideways. And our 10-year-old son, Mickey, said, I want to go with you. I don't want to sit in the car. So we started out and we started walking yardage from the first tee. And we can't see where we're going. And we just... We got to the tee marker, we got squared up, and we walked all the way off the tee, through the greens, walked the greens. We got around to about the 11th hole, and Mick was soaking wet, and he wanted to go back to the car. And I said, look, why don't you just hunker down in one of these bunkers here, and I'm going to come back around. This hole coming here is 16. I'm going to pick you up. So, my, so Mick did that. He hunkered down in the bunker, got out of the wind and the rain. We came around to 16. Mick's gone. And I am freaking out thinking the wind or the rain or waves came and took him away. 
So I told Mike, you finish up. You get 16, 17, 18. I'm going to go to the car and see if Mickey went back there. Sure enough, I run all the way in. I tap on the window. And there are you and Mickey in the car. And he's as warm as a bug in a rug. And I am freaking out thinking, I just lost our 10-year-old son to the, to the conditions here in Scotland. It's a jungle in here. And we all know it. The fans are fired up and Sure, they show it. They're rattling loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. Another story, which is more contemporary because it involves a, a PGA Tour player, now fellow broadcaster of mine, involves our middle daughter, Kristen. I used to take our kids out for a father child week, and this happened to be at. Hilton Head in South Carolina. And Kristen was, I think, 12 or 13. So she came out with me. And Kristen's never been a big golf fan, although her husband of today is a really good player. So she's starting to learn how to play the game. But I took her out with me. We stayed together right there at uh, at Sea Pines. And it was Pro-Am Day. And I wanted to make sure that she found the, the full excitement and fun of Sea Pines. So she was out. We went out and toured around the area. But Wednesday, Pro-Am Day, I wanted to keep my eye on her just because she's, she's a little kid. So I took her out. We went to the family room. We had lunch. And I ran into a young player who had just turned pro out of the University of Texas, Justin Leonard. And Justin, back when he turned pro, I think he was probably 20 years old, Boy, he was a young-looking kid. And I had met Justin. I knew him just a little bit. So we sat and had lunch with Justin, Kristen and Justin and I. But I had to get up and go out to the range and get prepared to play in the Pro-Am in the afternoon. So I said to Kristen, this is the family area. You can stay here. Here's a key back to the condo. We literally were across the street. But I said, I tee off at 1 o'clock. I'll be done by 6. So let's meet here. Meet me here at 6. She was pretty responsible. So I left, and I remember the story going, Justin picked up from there, was being a, a kind of a big brother to her, and he said, Kristen, how old are you? She said, I'm, I'm 13. What, what grade are you in? Now, I don't know how old you are, what grade you're in when you're 13. Probably seventh grade. Was she seventh grade? So she said, I'm in seventh grade, and she then turned to Justin and said, Justin, um, what grade are you in? And Justin got the biggest kick out of that because he had he was out of the University of Texas and he said, Oh, well I'm I'm out of school. In fact, I'm one of the pros playing in this tournament. And I remember Kristen telling me later she felt embarrassed because she really she didn't know that he was a tour player. Well he just joined the tour, so she she wouldn't know. But again, that's one of my favorite memories and every time Justin was playing on tour, Kristen would always say, There's my favorite Justin Leonard and Justin to this day, whenever I see him Working together on NBC and Golf Channel, he always asked me about Kristen, and, and I'm proud to report that Kristen is, uh, she's a neurologist now. She's a, she's a doctor up in uh, the great state of New York, with, married with two, two kids, uh, our, our two grandkids, two of our four grandkids. But those are the memories that we cherish back from traveling the tour. We started in a car, drove the, drove the tour for two years in a car. And it was a while before we could actually afford to fly. Uh, But those are the special times that we remember families on the PGA Tour. You've been here before, you know what to do. Keep your head on straight, don't let them get to you. Put a smile on your face, get rid of that 
I'm originally from Portland, Oregon, and I'm a proud University of Oregon duck, and I love being from the Pacific Northwest. But when all three of my children went east for college, I knew I needed to change things up. I wanted to get back into their same time zone. So after an extensive search, my wife and I ended up in the Naples, Florida area. But I wished I'd had Golf Life Navigators to help me make that decision. Golf Life Navigators is like Match.com meets Zillow. It's the only place you can go to uncover your ideal golf lifestyle. So go to GolfLifeNavigators.com and fill out the Pro Guide 3 questionnaire. It will ask you all the pertinent questions like, where do you want to live? Or how do you want to experience your golf? Then it matches you to golf clubs and you get to choose which one has the best environment for you. Look, I, I really don't understand the internet or how it works, but it's so easy even I can figure this out. Well, it's becoming pretty clear that Brooks Kepka is the dominating player in the world of golf at this point, isn't it? Brooks Kepka with another win at the World Golf Championship FedEx St. Jude Classic with Rory McIlroy tied for the leader. I should say Rory McIlroy had a one-shot lead going into the final round, playing with Brooks Kepka. Nothing really came together for Rory on that final round in Brooks Kepka. Even though, as he admitted, he was under the weather, he didn't feel well, he walked away with another win. And you look at the record that he's had in major championships over the last two or three years, and it's pretty clear that Brooks Kepka is quietly becoming the man in the game of golf. I don't know if we're ever gonna if we're ever gonna see anybody reach the level of domination that we saw from Tiger Woods, but Brooks Kepka, it, it's impressive, first of all. When you watch him walk on the range, you think this guy plays in the NFL or in the NBA or professional baseball, Major League Baseball. The guy is fit. The guy is in incredible shape, works out in the mornings before rounds, works out after the rounds, and has just committed himself to becoming a great player, the number one player in golf. Number two, when you watch him play, the way that he swings the golf club, it's just, it's just power. It's incredible rhythm. It's, it's great control, but powerful. And it doesn't really matter whether he's playing in bad weather or warm weather or wind or calm conditions. The sound the golf ball makes coming off his club face is it's undeniable when you recognize how solid he hits the golf ball and how impressive he is as a player. A lot of players, I think, questioned his putting early on in his career, but he has worked on his short game to the point where he is, he's one of the most dependable players. And I'm looking forward to seeing him at the President's Cup this fall down in Australia and in future Ryder Cups. I, I think he's starting to become an intimidating player because of his length, because of his strength, and because he's unflappable. Nothing seems to bother him. Man, oh man, the way Brooks Kepka is playing, he, is, he has become the man in the world of golf. And while the big boys were at the World Golf Championship in Memphis, an opposite field event was going on at Montreux Country Club in Reno, Nevada, called the Barracuda Championship, and another first-timer, just a baby in his sixth start out of the University of California, Colin Morikawa. He won the Barracuda Championship with three birdies on the last three holes, four 
of his last five. That is, that's incredible for such a young guy, obviously very experienced. We have so many first-time winners on the tour this season. Just to name them, Kevin Tway, Martin Trainer, Adam Long, Cameron Champ, Keith Mitchell, Corey Connors, C.T. Pan, Max Homa, Sung Kang, Nate Lashley, Dylan Fratelli, Matthew Wolf, and now Colin Morikawa. Colin Morikawa is a really impressive young man. I met him a couple years ago at the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill. The tournament gave him a sponsor's exemption, and I was really impressed. I hung out with him a little bit and had a chance to watch him hit some balls. Very impressive, strong, great ball striker, and a wonderful personality. And along with Matthew Wolf at the 3M Open that we watched Matthew Wolf make eagle on the last hole to win, Colin Morikawa almost won there. And then he followed that up with the top four at the John Deere Classic. So for him to win, uh, it, it's an amazing thing to see these young kids coming out today. They are they are ready to play. And I think it just goes to show you the junior programs and the college programs in the States and really around the world are preparing these young kids, boys and girls, to win right when they turn professional. And what this does now for Colin Morikawa, he's fully exempt on tour through 2021. And he's he's in the Masters next year, the Century Tournament of Champions, the Players Championship, PGA Championship. And recently, coming up in a couple of weeks, he's in the FedEx Cup playoffs. So quite a win for Colin Morikawa. I'm excited to watch him play. And coming on the heels of young Matthew Wolf winning, we see this on the PGA Tour every two or three years. There's always a group of kids that come out on tour and they are ready. They are prepared to win. And it's a tribute to the knowledge in the game, tribute to their coaches, tribute to their families getting them prepared to play. You think of the college programs now. What's cool about the Golf Channel is they're starting to put more college tournaments, college competition on their network, on their on their cable channel. And that's exciting because we can see these young kids coming out before they're on the PGA Tour. So names like Colin Morikawa and Matthew Wolf and Dylan Fratelli and Cameron Champ, they aren't unfamiliar to us. And I think that just adds depth to the PGA Tour and the players that are going to be taking over for the Tiger Woods and the Phil Mickelsons. And yeah, I hate to say it, but when you start looking at kids like Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler and even Justin Thomas, these guys are young in their career, but but they're almost considered veterans because of these young kids coming out and starting to dominate, starting to win on the PGA Tour. It's exciting to see. Following my work with NBC at the Open Championship in Royal Portrush, I spent last week at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's on the west coast of England at the Senior Open presented by Rolex. First of all, I have to give a shout out to the champion, Bernard Langer. Langer won his fourth, record-setting fourth, Senior Open Championship. That gives him 11 major championships on the Senior Tour or the PGA Tour Champions Tour. And I was there all week working with the Golf Channel and NBC crew. And the weather was really hot on Thursday and Friday and really cold on the weekend. It turned, it was probably 20 to 25 degrees colder on the weekend 
and we had rain. We had rain coming sideways, and it was miserable. So a tip of the cap to all the players who made the cut and braved the weather on the weekend. But you just had the feeling that Langer, who's been struggling this year, uh, and again, I use that word uh, uh, in context with Bernard Langer's career, an amazing competitor in the way that he's dominated, unlike anyone we've seen in Champions Tour golf since Hale Irwin. But Langer has been struggling. He's been pretty quiet this year. He hasn't been putting as well. But on Sunday, the weather caused like a three, four hour delay of tee times. So instead of going out in twosomes, everybody was repaired in games of three, and they went off the first and 10th tee. Langer came out quickly. He made four early birdies on the front nine, and you could just feel that the precision was back in Langer's game. He had the eye of the tiger. You just knew that he was going to be there at the very end. And at some point on the back nine, he opened up a four-shot lead with just incredible play. When you watch a great player like Langer, who's been a dominating figure in professional golf his entire career, he's 60 years old now, you just know that when the heat gets on, a player like Langer, he knows where to put it off the tee, he knows where to put it on the green, and, and he makes putts. And I, I give him so much credit because he has been challenged his entire career with bouts of the yips. I don't have to explain to everybody what the yips are with the putter. And I've even played with Langer. In fact, one time we were playing down at Hilton Head, par three, number four. Over water, really tough green. It's, it's kind of an island green. He hit it up there about four feet short of the hole. And this was in when he was in the throes of one of his yips battles. From four feet, straight uphill, underneath the hole, he double hit the putt and still left it a foot short and tapped it in. He walked over and he said, that was a bogey four. I double hit it and I didn't want to say, yeah, I saw it, but he he gets all the credit in the world from me for battling through these bouts with the yips. Only a guy with, with that kind of determination and guts can do that, but Langer went out on that miserable final round, built that four-shot lead. The only bogey or the only blemish on his card came at the very difficult 15th hole at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's, a dogleg to the right, playing about 490 yards back into a uh, back into the wind, a crosswind from the right. But he could afford a bogey on that hole. I think he knew that. He and Terry Holt were, were very surgical in the way that they took that golf course apart on Sunday. And, and he putted out and he won by, won by two shots for his fourth Senior Open Championship and his 11th Champions Tour Major Championship. So again, a, a tip of the cap to Bernard Langer for that performance. But Another thing that happened on that Sunday was that Tom Watson made the announcement that he's retiring from any future Senior Open Championships and U.S. Senior Open Championship play. And I hated hearing that. He announced that Saturday after he played. And I was sad because back in 1980, when I went over for my first Open Championship at Royal Birkdale, I finished up, made the cut, and I wanted to watch Watson play because nobody nobody plays Links golf like Tom Watson. It, it's it's incredible to watch him play. He's won five Open Championships and three Senior Open Championships. But back in 1980, I ran out, watched him play the last hole. Perfect drive off the tee, and he had like 215 yards left on his second shot. Back into the wind, and he absolutely laced a two iron to the middle of the green, two putted for the win. And uh, I just have had great admiration for Tom Watson over the years. He almost won six Opens, if you remember back in 1999 at Turnberry. Came to the last hole with a one-shot lead, hit a perfect tee shot, 
had an eight or nine iron from the fairway and the unpredictability of Lynx Golf, he hit a what I thought was a perfect iron at the green. It landed, it hit on a down slope, went over the green. He failed to get it up and down, went into a playoff with Stuart Sink. Stuart Sink prevailed. And I feel bad for Stuart because people remember that is not Stuart Sink's open championship, but the one that Tom Watson let get away. And because of the weather problems, instead of Tom Watson teeing off one and finishing on 18, like we all would have hoped and loved to have seen, he ended up teeing off of 10 and he finished on nine, which kind of broke my heart because a great champion like Tom Watson needs the finish on the 18th green. But to the credit of the fans over in England and everybody that loves the Open, he teed off 10, got a nice reception on 18, then he had to turn around and tee off one and finish on nine, which as all of you know, in Lynx golf, the ninth green's the farthest point from the clubhouse as it is in so many Lynx golf courses. But when he played the ninth hole, it's a, it's a short par three. He had a good shot on the green and he had a chance to make birdie. When he walked to the green, our NBC and Golf Channel cameras cut to it, and there were there were so many people gathered around the ninth green, which was wonderful to see because so many people understand how important Tom Watson has been to Lynx Golf, the Open Championship, and the Senior Open Championship. It really it really made me feel a little bit of emo- a little emotional when he was putting out on nine. It was raining. It was cold. It was windy. It was wet. But there were probably I don't know. You maybe saw it on TV. A hundred, hundred and. 50 fans out there. Maybe I'm I'm adding too many to the to the number, but in in my mind it could have been 10,000 people that were surrounding that green. They gave Tom a great thank you and a great send-off uh, because he deserved that. So I'm only sorry that Tom didn't finish on 18, that he had to finish on number 9, but still the the great feeling that Tom received from the fans and uh, the pleasure that Tom gave to all the fans was certainly there. But still, it's going to be hard for me to think about any Open Championship or Senior Open Championship without thinking of and wondering about Tom Watson. How's he playing? What's he, what is he doing? Because watching him play and having a chance to play with Tom throughout my career was nothing but a pleasure. And uh, I just want to take this opportunity to thank Tom and wish him all the best. And we are going to miss him at every Open Championship in the future. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?